we are in unprecedented times. And that's a really frustrating thing as a landowner when I'm just trying to do the right thing, but I can't figure out what that is because of the way these rules are written. They need to remain viable and they need access to water. This is the Green Report. For more than 40 years, Hotchkiss Insurance Agency has been protecting clients in a world of unknowns, helping them grow and succeed. Hotchkiss Insurance Agency celebrates with clients when they reach their goals of expanding to a new location, reaching a financial milestone, or serving a record number of customers. Because that's what Hotchkiss Insurance Agency is here for. Visit them at HIALLC.com and speak with one of their insurance agents to see what they can do to help grow your business. Hey folks, thanks for joining us on the next and newest episode of the TNLA Green Report. I'm your host, Ryan Skrbarczyk, and I've got a special friend with me here today, Mike Maroney, who uh, is a colleague around the Texas Capitol, uh, works for some of the biggest and best people in town, and is doing a lot of great work when it comes to one of our industry's biggest issues, workforce development. Mike, thanks for being with us today. Ryan, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to, to be here with you and your, your listeners and your viewers. Well, we, um, we have probably a lot in common on one of the biggest issues that our employers face, and that's a lack of labor. I'm sure your clients uh, share that same issue. It's clearly a priority, one of the, one of the things that you work on. Um, and we've, we've crossed over in multiple ways, so I'm excited to talk to you about it. But before we get into what's going on this legislative session, kind of give us the, the story on yourself, your background, where you come from. And sure. what you're, what you're, who you're working for, and what you're doing this session. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. So I'm a, I'm an independent lobbyist, uh, and I've got multiple clients. My, in fact, uh, my wife and our, and I are partners uh, in a firm. Uh, we, uh, we have clients in uh, uh, all sorts of businesses: insurance, um, manufacturing, chemicals, uh, and uh, but, but over the years, um, through my representation. Uh, with chemical companies, I kind of started to become uh, really interested in workforce development, education policy type things, and um, <clears throat> decided that, that uh, I kept hearing from, just like you hear from your members, I kept hearing from my members of uh, clients that, uh, that workforce development was, was in the top three, and it was usually uh, the number one issue that, that the employers had to deal with and were struggling with, and particular, uh, the skilled trades. Uh, mm -hmm. So the, the, the jobs that need more than a high school education, but less than a four-year degree. And so that is a lot of the, the, the space that, that I've been occupying for kind of going on about 15 years. Um, and, um, and it really culminated about, um, back in 2012, 2013, after we had the big, um, uh, downturn in 2009, and then we had an awful budget session in yeah. 2011, um, we were worried, uh, within industry that, uh, maybe that we weren't going to come back as, as strong, or as uh, fast 
Uh, and so we kind of put kind of workforce development on the back burner and didn't really talk about it for a couple of years. But um, coming out of the 11 session, uh, there was, a, there was, it was clear that we were going to have a pretty major economic recovery mm-hmm. and all the businesses that I represent, chemical companies, manufacturing companies, all started to say that they were panicking, hitting the panic button about, about uh, workforce development. Mm-hmm. And so, um, we began to work on, uh, with a broader coalition of, uh, educators and with, um, the mad moms who were mad about testing in high school mm-hmm. And we put together a big, broad coalition uh, to help write uh, and pass House Bill 5 in the 13th session. So that took many, many years of, of work to get there. But that was, and, and particularly for us in, in, in industry, it was because we wanted more flexibility uh, in high school curriculums. That was, that was kind of our big, big push. And so ever since House Bill 5 in 2013 passed, uh, we decided to keep uh, our kind of business coalition going, and that's the Texas Workforce Coalition. It's a broad-based group. It's about 30, 35 uh, trade associations, organizations, um, you know, from construction to uh, chemicals to manufacturing. And uh, so that's the group that I kind of uh, lead and organize and keep up to speed uh, as we go, as we you know, go session to session and, and work on policy. It's no small job, I'm sure. I don't know if our members probably are quite aware of the fundamental change that occurred with HB5. I was in the Capitol at that time as a staffer. Um, and we do, you know, I think anybody who was in the legislature in that session uh, will always remember HB5 because it did seem like there was this fundamental shift where uh, not just business owners, but educators and um, uh, even, you know, uh, superintendents were all in agreement of, I, I heard it as a staffer at the time, breaking down the four by four, you know, we've just got this inflexible education system designed to send everyone to college, which is, you know, obviously college is a great thing, but it's not the destination where everyone ends up. And frankly, industry doesn't need everyone to go to college. We need people with a multitude of skills. And like you said, that, that in-between spot where it's something more than high school education, but not four years in, in academia is really where, where we're seeing um, a shortfall. I mean, there's just not, there are not enough people to, to fill the jobs that we need in this state. That's certainly something I think our employers would agree with. We can't, we cannot find enough workforce, but that HB5 kind of took what was this archaic kind of very rigid structure in the education system and lurched it forward. And House Bill 5 really tried to address three things. One was the testing. A lot of the people were mad about the over-testing, these high stakes tests. That wasn't really our our, um, uh, focus area, but we we took the momentum that, that was part, you know, that was part of that. Mm-hmm. Second was the accountability system. That's the, that's the way that the state judges school districts and campuses uh, on their progress. And a lot of it is based upon those standardized testing, that, that high stakes testing. And then the third, really the one that we cared most about was the, was the curriculum flexibility programming. We, we you know, uh, what we advocated for was that not every kid is destined for a four-year university. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and not every, uh, just like you said, 
Uh, not every kid is, is, has the aptitude or interest for that. And our economy doesn't reflect it either. So it's kind of a, a dual, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's more like a, uh, mutually beneficial uh, changes to policy to help students uh, achieve their goals and their dreams and for, for them to reach um, the, and, and have the, the, the ability to provide for themselves, provide for their families, but it's also to, to mirror the, the workforce needs in our, in our society. And so I'll, I'll just give you one example, like a chemical company uh, has um, uh, all manner of educated and skilled trained workforce. They've got the, they've got the CEOs and the, and the business folks who are all going to be four year degreed and maybe MBAs. You've got all their chemists and biologists and, and, and PhDs who do all of the, and the, uh, you know, uh, scientific uh, research and that kind of thing. You've got uh, all these engineers who are four-year degreed folks, but for every single uh, engineer uh, at a chemical company, you mm -hmm. need about uh, nine to 12 uh, operating uh, skilled tradesmen, uh, pr process techs, uh, operators, and that kind of thing. And then, of course, uh, you have these plants that need to be maintained and and so you have this multitude of, of skilled trades needs and and quite frankly our, our Texas high schools were not uh, were not producing enough people who who could fill those positions and so that's why we made this big huge change well the um, I would have told you at the time when we wrapped up that session in 13 that HB5 was a perfect bill and it and it fixed all of the problems and it, there were no there were never going to be any more problems and in education and, and frankly having you know been a texas high school student at one point uh i was kind of jealous that you know the, some of the things that they were going to have to be able to do degree endorsements that would uh could guide you on a track to vocational and technical education if that's something you were interested in um but we know that there the work goes on um obviously that was 13 so here we all are these these years later eight years later and we're trying to figure out um where, where does the ball go now? So we, T TNLA uh, is a member of the Asset Coalition, which is a group of trade associations working on um, employment mandates. And we've had a podcast episode on that before. So for our listeners, you can certainly go back and listen to it. The things we were working on last session, largely the same this session, but there's enormous crossover from groups that are worried about issues like that. And, and people that people might think that that's all trade associations care about is the regulatory environment. And when in fact, this issue that we're talking about today is still such a driver. Um, we can't do anything without the, the workforce. Um, and so in that coalition, we interacted with you and, um, and the, the Texas Workforce Coalition. And there, there's a handful of issues um, that I think are gonna be top of mind for policymakers this session. Um, and so I, we, we can go through them and really, no uncertain order, but um, I want to start off with with my favorite, and that's the, the IBC list. Yeah, it's it's my favorite. Uh, I kind of say that tongue in cheek a little bit because it's really not my favorite. I wish it right. were an easier thing to deal with. But the IBC list is the industry based certifications that the Texas Education Agency um, uses for accountability purposes. These are the the industry certifications that made it, and they're the ones that uh, high schools can teach and um, the schools get credit for, and it keeps them teaching it. it. It helps these kids. They graduate with not only a degree, but you already got that one foot in the door with a certification. 
Um, TNLA, as our members uh, are probably aware, has been trying to, for the past two years now, get our certifications on that list, and it's a process that continues today. But um, how the list is developed is really what's being talked about this session. So can you give us some kind of insight into where those discussions are? Yeah, so the IBC list is a process that, in my opinion, is completely broken. Um, the, 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 the first list had 77 uh, certifications on it. You described it perfectly, by the way. It is the, these are the certifications that, uh, that the Texas Education Agency has blessed. I call right. it the magic list, <laughs> the magic list of IBCs that, the, that they believe uh, are worthy of being on their list and uh, school districts and campuses get credit in the accountability system for students who complete these. And, it's, and, and we, we, we in industry love to see uh, students graduate high school with, with an associate, with a, with, a, with a diploma and maybe a certification uh, that a lot of times these high schools are uh, graduating kids with, with a, a diploma, maybe even an associate's degree. So that's, the, that's pretty fantastic. Um, the problem with the IBC list, the magic list is, is, is that it is, uh, these are all certifications that have been written uh, by third-party organizations in consultation with their employers, in consultation with their industry to determine exactly what the skills and knowledge are needed uh, for, for the, the, the employment, for the jobs that are in those, uh, in those industries. And, what, and so that is a validation process. That is a verification process that those industry groups uh, do. And almost always it's a 501c3 that, uh, whose, whose sole mission is to, is, to, is to get those certifications as, as you know, uh, solid, rock solid as they, should, as they possibly can be. Well, what then TEA does is they put out their own evaluation process and the, uh, the IBCs have to go through their, uh, their mm -hmm. evaluation process, which is separate and apart. And I think the biggest problem with the IBC list is that the TEA has, uh, has five criteria. We, could, we don't have to go through all of them, but one sure. of the criteria is that the IBC must be attainable by the time you graduate high school. And that's a problem because um, uh, most certifications really are, are, can be started in high school, but most of them have to be finished later. It, you know, it's great to have a good head start. It's great to get maybe a, a course or two in your junior year and even more courses in your senior year. But the ability to actually finish by the time you graduate high school is, is a fairly rare thing. It's there, you know, not, it's very small percentage. So that's, in my opinion, is the biggest problem. Mm -hmm. Now what TEA has done is in their third round now of evaluations of the IBCs, uh, they have expanded, it was supposed to happen back in 20. And of course the pandemic uh, right. stopped right now. Uh, now they've started it in, in uh, 2021 and they, they now say that their list, their new list is not going to be completed until August of next year, 2022, which in essence, if you really think about it practically, that means that those new IBCs that, that get on the list really won't be able to go into the classrooms until the fall of 2023. So it's a really long, it's a, it's a, it's a ridiculously long process now mm -hmm. at this point. 
The other thing that's wrong, I think, with the IBC process is the fact that they are now going to, um, their, uh, the TEA has, has paid uh, a think tank in, at the University of Austin, uh, the University of Texas at Austin called the Ray Marshall Center to do uh, industry employer outreach to try to verify and validate these IBCs. So um, we've kicked, we've now kicked uh, industry-based certifications to the ivory towers at the University of Texas <laughs> right. uh, to try to validate these things. So all this to say, there's a lot of talk at the Capitol about taking this IBC evaluation process uh, away from Texas Education Agency and including uh, more uh, stakeholders uh, and have it reside um, with a, you know, either a commission like a council uh, that's uh, uh, perhaps uh, with appointed members from the governor, lieutenant governor would have industry representatives, it would have CTE uh, teachers and, and administrators, it, it would have uh, two-year sector folks, um, and, uh, and it would be staffed by the Workforce Commission, uh, which would ha you know, have a, a much better understanding about which of these industry-based certifications uh, are valued and value, valuable in the marketplace. Yeah, so, I, on yeah. that, I, I think that it, the, what you're talking about brings real two, two key components uh, that don't exist uh, necessarily in all aspects uh, of the current process. First is transparency. Yeah. You and you and I uh, sometimes scratch our head, I'm sure, and wonder, okay, uh, we've got a new system this time. It's designed a certain way. And, and how's it going to work? And at what point does industry get a say? And that's the second thing, I think, what you're talking about is that there's a bona fide way for industry to sit down as a stakeholder at right. the table. This isn't just... Um, this isn't just a, a, a survey went out to a handful of businesses and we think we've got the opinion of industry. Uh, because like you said, there are, there are these entities that exist and TNLA is actually one of them. We have uh, a handful of certifications that we use. Not all of them, to your point, can go right into the high school level. Some of them would have to be finished afterwards. But, um, you know, the, these entities are set up by industry. They're, they're certified by industry. They, right. Those things already exist. So if, if you're successful or we are successful um, as, a, as, a, as industry this session, hopefully we can get those two things. Hopefully we can get transparency and we can get an honest seat at the table. I know there's yeah. some discussion about how that might happen, but. And to your transparency piece, uh, I've been asking ad nauseum <laughs> about yeah. the process that's coming forward that we'll have. And, and originally the evaluation process was supposed to begin in February and maybe end in May. Now I'm being told that that process won't even begin until April. And when I asked the question, well, how will the Ray Marshall Center um, uh, survey or gather input from stakeholders, from, from employers, uh, I, I, get, I get nothing. I get zero transparency, which is very concerning. Uh, and when I say, well, I want my clients to be able to weigh in, I want, I want to alert them about what's coming and so that they don't throw away this survey that lands in their inbox. Right. Uh, and and, and I, I, I just get zero input. So I don't think the Texas Education Agency sees industry as someone that they should care about. 
mm-hmm. they, they're all they're solely focused about you know the rules and regulations around kids and around schools and that kind of thing. They don't see us as a partner or a stakeholder or or as the you know the the group that needs to have our our jobs filled and with the right skills and knowledge and 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 work ethic. Uh, and so uh, that's that's I think that's the biggest problem. Yeah. Well, there's there's a bit of continuity there, right? Because their students are their pupils, and then there are employees, right? And right. we should we should connect those two things <laughs> in exactly right. in practice. Um, and the the a council and committees, you know, uh, assumably would be public meetings. Their process would be open and disclosed, you know, and, and we could have a lot more say. So I am very hopeful, and I think our members, TNLA members, should be excited at the prospect that we get a better system out of this, and that's going to take some legislation this session, but I think it's, it's definitely warranted. And I'll say that that bill is, uh, is, is going to be filed this week. Uh, uh, Beverly Powell, Senator Beverly Powell on the Senate side and uh, Keith Bell, uh, representative from Forney on the House side. So that we'll be looking for those bills. That's awesome. Well, you're also going to be um, up in front of committee this week. The yeah. session has seemingly started in earnest. I think we're under an under 90 days for sure uh, before session is over and bills are finally coming up in front of committee. So um, tell us about some of the things you'll be talking about this week. Public education on the House side has, uh, has published a list that they're going to be hearing. Um, you're going to be in there uh, talking about um, some of the things that you just addressed, but there are a couple of bills. Tell us about them. Yeah, I've got two bills that will be heard tomorrow morning in the House Pub Ed uh, Tuesday. One is House Bill 434 by Keith Bell. This, this is a, uh, a bill that would allow for high school students uh, to uh, supplant their, their one required fine arts credit with a career in tech education. Uh, and the, the and it's getting a little bit of uh, controversy. You know, the fine arts teachers, the Texas Cultural Trust are are opposing this bill. We in industry think that uh, if we're going to keep in that same uh, kind of philosophy that we had with House Bill Five, which is flexibility and allow students to you know pursue their own interests, but also mm-hmm. to align with the with the uh, with the workforce needs. Um, this makes perfect sense. You know, uh, school, uh, children, uh, school uh, kids uh, throughout K through, tw- through eight have uh, fine arts that's required in every single year. This one credit in high school is the only high, uh, fine arts credit that is, that is required. And so Mr. Bell, Keith Bell from Forney wants to, uh, wants to allow for anybody who's not interested or talented or, or wants to, you know, pursue their uh, and anything in fine arts that they should be able to uh, use that credit for for career tech education. So we're going to be uh, I'm going to be uh, testifying in support on behalf of the Texas Association of Manufacturers, which is one of my clients. And the other bill that I'm going to testify in support of is House Bill 773 by Representative Gary Van Dever. Uh, this is a bill that would allow for the completion of a program of study to account in the accountability system. So this would be similar to an IBC list, but the programs of study are these these relatively new um, groupings of courses that you take, uh, maybe one in in 10th grade, Mm -hmm. a couple in in 11th grade, maybe a capstone course in 12th grade. And it's a defined program of study that is supposed to be aligned to industry needs. 
Uh, and, and a lot of times, if you take a program of study, that means you may have either already finished an IBC and an industry-based certification, or you're halfway there or three quarters of the way there. So we're adding this program of study requirement uh, uh, into the state's accountability system. And that's the, that's the rating system, if you will, that uh, the state the A through F ratings that they put on school districts and campuses to, to try to keep the, uh, to, to, you know, rank and, and, and rate them so that their people understand, the, you know, what they're, what they're doing in the community. The program of study was developed by TEA, right, in compliance with some of the federal, the Perkins Act. And That's it's Perkins basically, That's right. in addition, I'm sure in addition, I guess, to some, like the endorsements they do for the degree, it, it, it it gets you down this track of, of courses that could align you with a potential job. For folks in our industry, there are there is a program of study in the plant science area that um, students, high school students, could use, and they're going to get direct exposure to things that are very meaningful to our employers. Right. They are going to take courses that get them um, hands-on skills that they could develop at a high school level and then become all that more valuable as an employee. And if you're looking online for the programs of study, TEA does have very nice little one-pagers on how they would, um, a student could take this course of, or series of courses rather, and then they've almost mapped out your post-secondary options, or they're not perfect, but they're a handful based off of the IBC list, <laughs> some of the things where you could go through. So that's even more reason why we would like to have the IBC list be more inclusive. We think that um, we can help students better map out that, those post-secondary options. But if we could add the program of study, we're talking about high school students coming out who, and, and I love this, this uh, House Bill 434, that um, would kind of, again, break down that barrier and allow the student to follow their interest because they, you know, they're, they're following that passion and they're gonna be able to get out with credits that are meaningful towards making an income. Yeah, one of the problems that we that we were trying to solve for with House Bill Five back you know eight years ago yeah. was the fact that that so many uh, high school students did not have enough uh, flexibility or room in their schedule to take the courses that they wanted, and so uh, that was that was part of the reason. Again, um, your 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 number of electives is limited, and so if you are being required to take choir or band or some, you know, visual arts uh, mm -hmm. course that you, you know, have no interest in whatsoever, but you're being required. Why, why not supplant that with something that you're passionate about, that you're interested in, and that will actually help you get prepared for, uh, for your next, uh, for, you know, whatever's after high school, right? That's Whether right. You do your job or technical training or community college or university. Well, we would hope you'd follow up on that and pursue employment in that area, right? And that would be the goal you get. There's nothing wrong with the fine arts credit. It's just allowing the student and the parent, probably likely in that situation, to help them make a choice that they, they really feel strongly about. That's well, okay. there's a couple of other things um, that, uh, that one of them, that, and it's come up <clears throat> with our partners in the Texas Agriculture Council, which uh, is another kind of loose affiliation of groups that TNLA is a part of. Um, on the ag side with our uh, friends and the, and the ag vocational teachers association, yeah. Uh, yeah. great individuals over there. And they're excited about the concept of the CTE teacher pay allotment. 
and you're going to have to really break this down, Mike, because uh, if, if anything is nuanced at the capital, school finance <laughs> is the most nuanced. So but do, go ahead and, and uh, do your darn just give us the best shot at, at how this, this would work. This one is pretty simple. Yeah. So thank uh, goodness. Yeah. So <laughs> school teachers, um, when they're paid on uh, uh, based mostly based upon experience. Uh, the, the earliest teachers, the youngest teachers are paid the least. Uh, the longer that you're in the teaching profession, you kind of get this stair step uh, increases. And, and so the most senior teachers, the ones with most experience, the master teachers, they're the ones who are going to get paid the most. Um, but if you're a teacher uh, coming into uh, leaving one school district with, let's say, seven or eight years experience and you go to another school district, uh, and start teaching there, then you get credit for your experience in that previous school district so that you're going to then be competitive salary-wise. What we hear uh, a lot from career tech uh, uh, directors within school districts is, is that um, when they are trying to uh, recruit CTE teachers, that's usually people who are not, had, didn't go to college to be a teacher. They maybe have some industry experience. Maybe they have an industry-based certification. Maybe they want to come back and teach auto mechanic uh, or they want to teach welding or they want to teach something that is in the career and tech field. Um, the problem is that uh, the, under current law, you're only allowed to give up to two years uh, on the step schedule for previous experience. So you could have somebody who spent 20 years in an auto mechanics garage as an expert in that. You try to get that person to come and uh, make a career change and be a teacher in the, in the auto uh, program. And you're not able to, to uh, the school district is not able to pay that person competitively. And it's just a much more difficult proposition. So what this bill would allow for is school districts to pay up to 10 years of their previous experience in industry. So uh, what we've heard from uh, quite a, bit, a few of these career tech teachers and uh, administrators is that this is this kind of flexibility will make them much more competitive in the marketplace. And it's going to be for the benefit of uh, not only those teachers, but the benefit of our students and then the benefit of us in the, in the, in the, in the private sector. Right. Direct industry experience in the classroom. And they get the best teachers. I think there's also a, a conversation that I know, uh, again, our AGVO teachers are excited about um, and maybe our superintendents less excited about, but the, uh, the flexibility on what the CTE allotment is. I've heard yeah. them talk about it before. So uh, the way I understand it, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but the state gives them an allotment for CTE right. and there's a cap um, or rather a floor at which they must dedicate a percentage to their CT education. And there's discussions about changing that floor. Yeah, let's talk about that real quick, because this is important. Um, so career and tech uh, courses are more expensive because you have uh, more uh, equipment, you have, you know, uh, all this, the, the costs associated with labs and, and doing the, the hands-on stuff. So the state pays for every student, every normal student uh, that you have in school, uh, uh, the equivalent career and tech education hour student 
uh, gets uh, kind of basically a 35% um, bonus. So it's, that's called our weighted allotment. It's one, it's, so for every dollar over here, you get a dollar 35 for career and tech. Um, and it's not for every student, but it's, uh, it's basically a full-time equivalent student. So you could have three or four students uh, who are taking career tech courses. And if they get to that, that kind of full-time equivalent, if you will, then that's the, the funding. The problem is that within the school finance system, the uh, school districts are only required to spend 55% of that CTE allotment on CTE programs. Now, that's kind of a head scratcher, right? <laughs> yeah. um, most school districts are spending somewhere north of 75%, 75, 80, maybe even as high as 85% of their CTE allotment on CTE programs. So, um, but for us in industry, you know, it's kind of puzzling because if you're going to have CTE dollars, you should spend it on CTE. Right. You should have career and tech education going, you know, being fully funded. Right. If I and gave, so, if Ryan gave Mike a dollar and you spent 55 cents on something that I told you to buy it with, I, I, I might be a little upset where the rest of my change at. Where, where, <laughs> Mike, come on. My change? That's exactly right. <laughs> And so what this bill, this is um, House Bill, uh, oh, which one is this? Well, I'll come back to the, to the bill later, but it, this, this, is the, this is a bill that would uh, raise the, the, uh, the floor to 90%, meaning that then school districts would have only about 10% wiggle room to use those CTE dollars that come in to help balance other portions of their budget. And we, we, we recognize, I think all recognize that, that you can't, can't spend every single CTE dollar on every single CTE need and program. But, uh, but right now, uh, I think there's far too many school districts that are using that wiggle room uh, a little bit too much. So that's what we're trying to, to accomplish. Uh, Dink, is it uh, Representative Gates that has at least one proposal out there talking He's got about this? Several proposals out there. In fact, I found the bill number. It's uh, House Bill three three four by Gates is the CTE funding bill. He's also got one on CTE reporting, which is uh, sorely needed. Uh, he's got one on uh, the teacher pay bill, uh, mm. House Bill eleven forty six. That's the one we talked about. And then there's a, there's another one that I, I really like. It's called House Bill 1411. And this is a bill that would help uh, pay for uh, students uh, who are uh, within CTE programs trying to get to work-based learning. So mm -hmm. internships, apprenticeships, practicums. Um, right now, the only way that a student's uh, transportation costs can be covered is if those, um, if they're leaving from one campus on a bus go on a, and it goes on a, on a regular bus route. So yeah. then the school district has to, so if you've got one student going to one um, business for some work-based learning uh, activities that is part of their CTE program, then that money, that, 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 that the cost of that trip there and back can't be, um, uh, can't be attributed to the to the school district. So the, either the the student has to pay and they have to pay out of their own pocket, or the school has to you know come up with some other transportation method and they've got to pay for it not out of the CTE allotment, uh, but out of general revenue. And so right. 
those general revenue dollars are pretty precious. And so what we're trying to do is to get the transportation allotment uh, to pay for that kind of work-based learning uh, transportation. I'm sure that, I mean, listening to you describe it, that has, it seems like that would have all kinds of benefits for us, particularly our employers who may be out in more rural areas and trying to get one student there that on an existing bus route, right. that, that might be, that might be difficult to do. Well, um, Mike, any, any, anything else, any, any kind of, I know there's, we've got such a broad uh, need it seems like, and we're working on so many things, but anything else that's close to your heart you want to mention? Well, you know, most of what we've talked about today is, is uh, high school, uh, you know, K through 12 education. There's a whole other world of uh, higher ed uh, mm-hmm. uh, funding type stuff. We won't, we won't go into all that today, but uh, th- there are a lot of, um, of bills. There's a lot of, uh, uh, of, of discussions going on about all of this. And ultimately, what we in you know business need is a is a system where students can can uh, you know explore careers in middle school and they can dabble in them in high school and they can uh, transition seamlessly to what's whatever's next. If it's straight into the workforce, if it's into a community college or a technical school or TSTC or to a university, we want we want students to be. Uh, to be able to follow their dreams. We want them to follow their interests, but we also want it to all be uh, aligned so that we in industry uh, are having a steady uh, pipeline of talent uh, to fill the jobs that we, that we desperately need filled and particularly in the skilled trade. So I, I really want to say thanks for, for all your work and for your organization and uh, and uh, engaging in these issues, it, it really takes uh, so many of us to to kind of move the ball forward. And I, I appreciate uh, you and I appreciate the time today. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on. I'm sure we'll see you around the Capitol, folks. If you're if you watch the legislature, look for Mike. He'll be in the Education Committee making right. some friends, maybe making some enemies. But he, he's always doing good work uh, and, and really uh, fighting on behalf of employers and businesses across Texas. I know TNLA will be in there. Uh, in the trenches with you, Mike. So thanks for everything that you do. And uh, we really appreciate your time. Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate it. Hotchkiss Insurance Agency seeks to protect that which is possible in everything they do. Hotchkiss Insurance Agency believes that by safeguarding one's most valuable assets, people and businesses are better able to grow and prosper. Hotchkiss Insurance Agency is proud to be an endorsed service provider for TNLA and looks forward to the opportunity to serve your company. Visit them at HIALLC.com today.